I am thrilled to have in studio with me Eric Butes. Eric, you are uh, with uh, Ford dealerships with Columbine Ford, Freeway Ford, and Longmont Ford. And Freeway Ford is uh, is, is that the one that you it has the great quote sometimes on the uh, the billboard? It is, and it it comes from really really great owners, some really great people that I work for. You know, I I always want to have a little bit of inspiration in my show. And as I go up and down I-25 and I see the messages on that particular billboard, they're typically very inspirational. So thank you. Happy to do it. Okay. So let's talk about freedom of mobility. Uh, You have a a very interesting story about what freedom of mobility has done in your life. So let's share that just a little bit. You know, I... uh... It's ironic that I come from California originally. I've been here for long enough that some people might joke that I made native status. But, um, I, you know, I come from a small town in California right outside of Los Angeles. Most people don't think there's small towns outside of Los Angeles. But uh, I lived on a dirt road uh, in a little 800-square-foot cabin. Um, and I come from the kind of town where my, my bedroom growing up was the back porch enclosed with plywood. And... That was pretty normal in this neat little quaint town that we grew up in. The, the mom of the, where we hung out, the mom that always had food for all of us teenage boys, um, she had seven kids, and her house was probably 800 square feet. The front porch had been converted to the kitchen. It was probably five feet by 20 feet, and she fed all the teenagers in town and her family of seven kids. And, you know, it, it was okay. It was good. Uh, it was, we were very fortunate because we were very, we learned to be very resourceful mm-hmm. and self-reliant. Virtually everything we had as uh, teenage boys, we, we, uh, you know, found, uh, in the trash, we, we went to junkyards for fun and things came home from the junkyards mm-hmm. and became our toys. Mm-hmm. It, it was great. Uh, and I attribute my, a lot of what I've been able to accomplish in my career which is uh, technically based. I, I think today they would call that a hands-on STEM education. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Back then, that was, you know, kind of, that, that was our life. Uh, and they didn't have programs where I could have used that for STEM credit. So uh, I'm happy for those kids who can do that now. Um, Just a question. How old were you when you uh, had got your first job? Uh, I would say 12. Mm-hmm. I was working at the local bike shop uh, assembling bicycles. Mm -hmm. I got paid $3 a bike. It took me an hour and a half to build the bike. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) And I loved it. My first job, I was 14. I mean, I did babysitting and stuff before that, but, but it was at daylight donut and chicken Inn. Okay. You know, and, but I, I'm a big proponent of kids working. Did you guys deliver at all? We did not deliver, but, uh, I, I am now a great donut connoisseur. That's awesome. I loved it. Yeah, so good. Anyway, so I, I digress. But the, I think one of the themes here is kids learning to work. That's really important. But you, so you have this work ethic. Mm-hmm. And, and continue on because we're going to see that play out. Yeah, you know, and uh, I asked you the delivery question because as soon as I turned 16, the first thing I did was try to find ways to make more money. I was... Uh, looking for opportunities to change my 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 status. Okay. You know, I, I knew something inside me knew that I didn't. I could do better than where I lived. Uh, most of the ta- most of the guys I grew up with didn't turn out very well. Um, there was no opportunity plan laid out in front of us. We didn't have the benefit of of parents who understood. Hey, hey, son, if you do this or you get these grades or you focus on these degrees, you can make something of mm-hmm. yourself. So for those of us 
that that did make something of ourselves we were we were you know spent a little extra time being a little more resourceful than everybody else and working a little harder being a little more creative uh and most of us are are doing very well who did well uh most own businesses um and employ other people uh and and reach back into that community and are able to find people from those types of communities to elevate them Mm -hmm, as mm -hmm, well mm -hmm. so i I, they pay they play a really crucial role in the community that i came from Mm -hmm. um but you know the way that the the number one most indispensable tool that we all had the ones who made it was our pickup trucks yes uh first thing we did when we got we turned 16 we we got pickup trucks uh there was no haul stuff yeah you could deliver stuff yep i delivered pizza at night i i bought things off of the recycler back then the today's equivalent of craigslist mm-hmm. you know i bought things for cheap and sold, sold them for more lots of things and but uh, you had to deliver them yeah you had we to had have to a way to them. do that right got it everybody everybody i knew is lawnmower it, it came from the curb when someone was throwing it out and and we we brought those lawnmowers home like glorious uh rating <laughs> champions you know coming back with our prizes you know and, and you, you know i'm sure some people were annoyed by the uh, amount of things in our front yard that, probably but, you know but we brought these things but you're back resourceful, and, yeah. and, and and the truck was what we needed you know we drove mini trucks at that time uh, because we were, you know, they were economical. Mm-hmm. They got really good fuel economy. They were affordable. Uh, it, 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 a lot of people wonder where mini trucks went. And do you know that the reason why mini trucks kind of went away, they've gone to mid-sized trucks now, the well, size of a Tacoma, because of, uh, because of envir- uh, fuel regulations. So, so people, uh, you know, in a big white building said, hey, well, these vehicles are the problem. And, and so we're going to put these standards and we're going to identify trucks. And, and these SUVs as a problem. Well, those mini trucks fell into that classification. And I'll, and I'll let our, your listeners dig more into it. But if you want to look into how CAFE standards uh, killed the mini truck, all you got to do is Google it. And it was, it was government regulations reaching in, thinking they had a solution, but there were unintended consequences that had long-term effects that actually did more harm than good. So really, everybody that you didn't, you couldn't take away the need of the picky mini truck by taking away the mini truck. You just pushed everybody out of the mini trucks into full size trucks. Well, and what you referred to the CAFE standards, this is the California emission standards. CAFE is the federal standard. Oh, CAFE so is oh, CAFE uh, okay. is federal. Excuse that was me. the federal government trying to do something that okay, you know, a problem that they perceived that they needed to do something about. Okay, which you know there are problems and things need to be done about. Regulations need to be made, uh, but. There's also, we got to be careful about the regulations that we make because I'm seeing on a day-to-day basis unintended consequences. Okay. So the CAFE standards are the federal. Yes. But what the governors Hickenlooper and Polis have tied us, uh, Colorado to, is not the federal, nope. but to California. Which is CARB, California Air Resources Board. Okay, that's CARB. Okay. Uh, very interesting. Let's go to break. When we come back, <clears throat> let's continue to talk about your story that this young guy who's resor- resourceful, knows how to work, gets a pickup truck, and becomes a really great success in life. So let's continue on with just how important freedom of mobility is for everyday people to be able to thrive, prosper, and pursue their economic well-being. So we'll be right back. (laughs) Welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, dissecting the news, politics, and opinion as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree? We're having conversations. We need to be doing that in America. 
Check out my website, americhicks.com. Sign up for my emails. I'll keep you apprised of all the upcoming guests, topics, and important events. And I am the AmeriChicks on Facebook and Twitter as well. We offer a conservatarian perspective. I am thrilled to have in studio with me Eric Butes, who is with uh, Longmont Ford, Freeway Ford, and Columbine Ford. And uh, my, my brother's a big Ford guy. Uh, okay. <laughs> he's a very he is he's actually a really smart guy. <laughs> yeah. And uh and so it's great to have you. Uh, there's there's some things we want to explain regarding these executive orders of Governor Hickenlooper and Governor Polis, but quickly, you know, we were talking about you and and the fact that when you were 16 you got a pickup truck. Just very quickly tell us because you now are with these these, these Ford dealerships and um you know, really you've made something of yourself. Yeah, and you know, I've been given a great opportunity by some really great people, and and I'm super grateful for it. That's the great thing about our industry, actually. The, it's one of the few places people can still work their way up from the bottom and get get to the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, with with is that your story? It, it's I I actually went back to college. Okay. I got my degree at uh, 38 years old, and these guys hired me three months before I graduated okay. from college. So I went blue collar. Uh, University of Phoenix. Thank you, University of Phoenix. I actually got a great education and then got hired three months uh, before I graduated, and these guys brought me in. Okay. Um, And it's been awesome. So, you know, really the point that's going on here, as I've been working with in in this space for quite some time now, uh, we've worked really hard and spent a lot of money to do things that are very good for Colorado's climate our environment, our air. I look out at your window right now, and I can see the mountains. They're gorgeous. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful morning it is. It is. Um, it, we, we couldn't see that when I moved here. Uh, Colorado has cleaned up that air. We didn't need California's help. And in fact, I'd like to suggest uh, emphatically that Colorado does a much better job of protecting our environment and has, over the last several years, of cleaning up our air than California has. Uh, We've done a bunch of things. I've, been, I've occupied this space of cleaning up the air through the right vehicles for the right people uh, in, in my career. So we made a huge investment in getting hiring technicians, upgrading our buildings. Uh, we're talking a lot of money mm-hmm. uh, so that we could work on CNG, propane, RNG. Do you know what RNG is? Uh, natural gas. It's renewable natural gas. It's gas from poo. Oh, <laughs> yeah. really? Yep. I so didn't know that. City of uh, Grand Junction has it. Uh, City of Loveland has it. And they sequester the gas that comes off their sewage treatment plants. Okay, now i got to think a really good place where, th- what did you say this is? R- RNG. So that's... Uh, Renewable natural gas. And you said that's uh, that's poo. I'm yeah, thinking and the- it comes off trash. Uh, so our the big trash pile out at mm-hmm. the airport, we're, we're, pulling, we're pulling fuel off of... That is a, that, Otherwise, it just goes up into the environment, and we're capturing it. That and is creativity that. and innovation, but I'm thinking a place where there'd be a lot of that yep. is Washington, D.C. Right. I mean, you could probably really get a lot of poo there. Right. <laughs> and, you know, no one twisted our arm to do that. There were incentives put in place to, to, help, to help consumers want to buy those vehicles that'll run on poo, but that's going away now under the California standard because somehow... They've come to the conclusion that there is a one-size-fits-all solution for vehicles, and okay. that's electric. And, and I, I don't know any economic uh, environmental philosophy that says there's a one-size-fits-all to solve global warming or our climate change problems. It, it requires a mixed approach, and we have that mixed approach here in Colorado, and it's working. And this is the model that should be copied, in my opinion, not California's model. Because once, once California 
takes over, we have to put all of that stuff to bed. Those incentives go away that are rolling on all the stuff that's already happened. There's a lot of people, good people doing good things for the environment that, that their, their incentive goes away now. And so we're not going to be doing that anymore. Now we're going to do what California says whenever they say it, however they tell us to do it. But wait a minute, we're Coloradoans. You know, we had uh, Tim Jackson in recently, and, and producer Steve had a really good point. He had pulled up the uh, map of, of Colorado and looked at the, the topography and also the elevation. And guess what? Uh, our average elevation is a lot higher than California, right, Steve? You got me again. Uh, ours is 6,300 feet. I don't know what, the, and they call that the mean altitude, or I guess mm-hmm. average. I, I need to find out what California's is, but It's got to be a was, lot lower because there's a lot of it's at sea level. Well, so much of their, yeah, their, their, their population and the population centers are right at sea level, San Fran, L.A. So how could these two, these apples and oranges? I don't, mm-hmm. Mr. Governor, I don't get it where you think that this is the right thing to do in terms of tying us to California. Well, and you know, Eric, Colorado, Coloradoans have had a real history of kind of ruggedness, that Western spirit, individual, individualistic spirit. And we're not California. No. And, and uh, our topography is different. Our elevation is different. Our lifestyle is different. In fact, I recently uh, heard that the, the uh, vehicle mix in Colorado is about 76% of Coloradoans are buying these um, light-duty trucks and SUVs because that's the lifestyle of many Coloradoans. And, um, but in California, it's much less. The mix is 50-50. And so they're trying to push a lifestyle, push a you know, political um, kind of ideology, pu- pushing all this on Colorado. And we've got two Democrat governors that via executive order are, is trying to put this in place, and I'm really concerned about it. You know, you're right. And, and, and the word lifestyle kind of suggests that, hey, this is a luxury thing that we're doing. We get to enjoy these things in Colorado. And, yeah, that's great. That's why I lived here. Live here. However, there's a lot of people. We don't have a choice. These are the only vehicles that will do the job to move you about Colorado. People travel from all over the world to drive on our roads. We have the coolest roads there are. And these are the vehicles we need to drive on these roads. The majority of our roads are still gravel roads here in Colorado. You showed me that map, and uh, it is astounding. I mean, we are rugged, western, individualistic people. We're not Californians. We're Coloradoans. I met a guy on Sunday, uh, Sunday morning, for, you know, he, he had just he just met. It was a church, and, and I was just turning around, you know, when they say turn around and meet somebody new. Just moved here from Santa Barbara two weeks prior. And he was all excited because he finally got a car that would work in Colorado. He showed up with a Prius. Prius is a great car. I believe in hybrid. I drove a Fusion hybrid for a long time. It's not suitable for the mountains, so I couldn't drive it in the mountains, so it required that I had two cars. But So he, he was all excited that he finally got a car suitable for Colorado. He went out and bought a Subaru SUV. And, and this Subaru, it, you know, that Subaru SUV um, that, with PZEV technology on it, if you drive that car through New York City, the air coming out the tailpipe is cleaner than the air going into the intake system and there's no hybrid there's no battery it's not electric Mm -hmm. it's just really great technology using uh something that we know how to do really work really well with if the plug-in hybrid has a 40 percent battery loss when uh when it gets cold below 20 degrees when it drives it into the mountains it needs more engine than it does battery 
because it's lost a bunch of its battery. It's lost 40% of everything you need in the cold weather. We have cold weather here. And, you know, I heard an interesting term about that. Uh, we had recorded a show that will be coming on sometime here in March with uh, Lauren Fix and Tim Jackson. And she said she was in California, and she was uh, trying out one of the electric vehicles. And so she needed to go charge it. Now, bear in mind, sometimes it can take four hours to charge your car to get a range of about 200 miles. Mm-hmm. And, again, that's not really Coloradoans' lifestyle. But so she said she was going to try to find a place to charge her car, and all of the bays were full. So she continued to drive drive around. Then she ended up waiting because people will park their car, they'll plug them in, and then they'll just go do other things. And she was getting to the point where I don't know if I'm going to have enough juice to get where I need to go. Mm-hmm. And she called it range anxiety. I mean, I know when I'm looking at my, my gas uh, fuel tank and it's getting close to empty – I certainly jump in and I fill up. It takes me about 10 minutes to not know whether or not you can can charge the car. And if it takes like two, three, four hours, that isn't something that's going to work for my lifestyle, Eric. Yeah. And, you know, there are faster chargers now uh, as as short as 15 minutes. But those chargers are about $400,000 and they require a substantial infrastructure that you can't just put them anywhere. It almost has to go from grid to charger. So how many of those chargers do you think are going to be available and how fast will they ramp up? And I, I want to be very clear. I like electric cars. They make sense in certain applications. They make sense in the city, but they don't make sense abroad across Colorado. Uh, you can't go the range it is a problem when you want to travel across Colorado. Do you think the little towns in between here and Grand Junction, how many of them can afford a network of these $400,000 chargers to give you the... We're a long ways away. And here's the thing. We're going to get there anyways. Coloradans, consumers are going to buy the cars that make sense for their application. They're, they've proven to do it. Look at the mountains. Their brown mm-hmm. clouds mm-hmm. gone. They're buying the right cars that work based upon their economic means, we're going to get all of those cars with or without California. We don't need $2,000 to... Uh, uh, that's a very conservative number, by the way. We don't need $2,000 added to the price of every car so California can mandate the, that we start driving cars now that we don't have the infrastructure in place to start driving them today. And just to explain, we're just about out of time, but what these these executive orders will do is it's going to say to dealers... That right right now, I think that it's about 2% of the fleets that, that overall the dealers here in Colorado sell are electric vehicles. And Governors Hickenlooper and Polis say, hey, dealers, you've got to get that number up to 10%. It's not, they're not realizing a free market. People will buy the vehicle that they want that works for their lifestyle so that they can go after their economic well-being and what's best for their families. But these governors are saying... We say to you dealers that you have to sell at least 10% of your your vehicles have to be electric vehicles. And if not, we're going to penalize you. And and to pay off that penalty, you're going to have to have like carbon credits. Yes. And there is only one company right now where, where these dealers, my friends, can buy these carbon credits, and that is Tesla. So this, in essence, is corporate welfare in this in corporate welfare for Tesla. And so it is going to increase the price of the vehicles that Coloradoans want to drive because they're not buying a car that they don't want, but it's going to increase the price when you go to buy that new car that will fit your lifestyle. And I am, I am not a proponent of a government forcing these decisions on people. I think that people should have the freedom of mobility, the freedom to make their choices. 
And so it's important that we get get this information out, that people understand this. And your story, Eric Butts, is an amazing story. A young kid with a pickup truck is now, you know, one of the executives with three fabulous Ford dealerships right here in Colorado. And, you know, my story's not special. It's not unique. All you got to do is get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and get on the roads. You don't see them at 8 o'clock in the morning when you're getting on the bus or your little scooter to ride downtown. But you see them on the road. I am a common occurrence. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of Coloradans just like me looking for upward mobility that are on the roads at four, five, six o'clock in the morning and getting home at seven, eight, nine, ten o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. I would say what's construction is probably one of the largest mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. industries. Those are the those, that's me, and they we're going to really hurt these guys and take away their uh, uh, economic mobility, their ability to have that vehicle that gets them to the next level in life that they're working hard to get. I'll tell you what, I think that we need to make sure we shed light on what's going on out there because I believe that every individual should have the ability to pursue their own economic well-being. So thank you. And we'll have to have continue to have these conversations. Yes, absolutely. So Eric Butz, thank you so much.